Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7 and verse 11. The inspired writer says, now it happened. This uh, was a big deal because it was the first time that Jesus had raised anyone from the dead. And what he proved was that, you know, not even death could challenge his power. I want you to think about it just for a moment. If your Savior can overcome death, what is your problem? What is your mountain? What is the impossibility that you're facing? Now, it happened the day after. You know, with Jesus, the adventures are daily. You know, every day is another chance for him to do something just outrageous and amazing. But it says here it was the day after. And it's connecting this next happening to the last happening. And Jesus had just healed the centurion's servant the day before. And unlike Elijah and Elisha, who had to enter into the house, in one case go up into actually a, a bedroom, one, one prophet actually laid on the child, and, and uh, then the child sneezed and the whole rest of it. But the, the short of it is, Jesus spoke just a word, and the man was cured. He didn't have to go in the house. He didn't have to touch the man. He, he just spoke the word, and the man was made well. And the people hadn't seen anything like this before. You know, there's more power in one word from God than the weight of all the human dysfunction combined. So the day after that great miracle, Jesus did even a greater miracle. And he went into this city called Nain, which was about nine miles south of Nazareth. And many of his disciples, now it says many of his disciples, went with him. So, of course, by now, the, the 12 disciples are present, but Jesus had impacted many lives. In fact, uh, later on, he, he uh, anoints 70 other disciples. And matter of fact, when Judas uh, hung himself, they, they said, listen, we want someone who has been with us from day one to fill his shoes in his place, meaning that Jesus did not just travel with the 12. Actually, the Bible says elsewhere in Luke that women traveled with him. So he had female disciples. He had uh, male uh, disciples. So uh, the bottom line was people from all over began to trust Jesus. And it says this, and many of his disciples went with him and conjunction, two different groups of people and a large crowd. So notice Luke distinguished the disciples from the crowd. There's a marked difference between those who just attend and those who surrender. And now the question for you is, which group do you belong in? If God was writing a story today about, you know what, there were some disciples in the crowd, which group would you belong to? And when he came near the city gate under Jewish law, dead bodies were considered unclean. So burials didn't happen within the city gates. They happened outside the city gates. And and, you know, some pains, some hurts in life, you don't want a whole lot of reminders around you about them. And, and I think that's part of the reason why God uh, required this under the law. 
And behold, a dead man was being carried out. Funerals typically happened the same day. They didn't have refrigeration like they do today and, and didn't do some of the same things that we do. So the, the point is, the situation was fresh and the emotions were still raw as Jesus came upon this situation. And it says that this man was the only son of his mother, meaning this was her only boy. And in, in that culture and in this time in the ancient world, uh, a, a, a mother's son was the only thing she had to support her in her old age. And uh, here, this boy is, is gone. Then it says, on, on top of that, she was a widow. Again, there's no social security. There's, there's none of that. And if her boy doesn't take care of him, she, she's, she's in trouble. On top of that, she didn't remarry. So she already lost her husband, now her son, both gone. And the Bible continues, she had no husband to reinforce the fact that uh, she was alone. And unless she had very wealthy relatives, she would now become one of the most vulnerable in society. And she'd have to depend on the uh, public charity. She'd have to beg. Uh, women were not hired to work out in the fields so much, and, and you really couldn't get a, a great job. So the rest of her life shifted. It's just amazing what one day can do and, and how it can change just everything sometimes. And this was a situation with this, this woman. It says, and a large crowd from the city was with her. So we, we see an image of this, this, this huge parade following Jesus. And they're coming toward the city of Nain. But as they're coming toward the city, another large procession was leaving Nain, heading toward the surrounding hill for burial. Now, this meeting here was unintentional, but how many know with God there are no accidents? And when the Lord saw her. Custom required that the bereaved mother walk in front of the casket. So it really wasn't strange that Jesus saw her first. But what is strange is that the Bible says it does not say he saw the massive funeral. I mean, you know, everyone in the town is a small town came out, everyone in the city to participate. But, but he doesn't see this massive funeral. The Bible says he only saw her. There is no tear that God cannot see. No pain that God cannot feel. No threat that God cannot hear. If his eye is on the sparrow, I know he watches over me. When the Lord saw her, in our culture, if you're driving down a highway and you come upon a funeral, everyone's lights are on and, and, and in a long procession, you know, out of respect, you pull over to either the right or left to, to allow the procession to pass by. But in Jewish culture, it was very, very different. If you happen to come upon a funeral, you were obligated, you were obliged to join it. So the question that loomed at this particular intercession was who would join whom? But the Bible says he had compassion on her. 
meaning his heart immediately joined her heart. And actually, in, in, in the Greek, the, in, in the Bible languages, when it speaks of compassion, in one place it calls it bowels of mercy. And, and just like my, my wife used to say to me, I asked her to stop. She, she, she used to say to me, I love you from my liver. <laughs> it's like, huh? She said it sounds better in her language. Okay. It's romantic in her language, but we're, you know, but anyway. No. But, you know, some of these ancient languages are more pictorial. And to, to have compassion was to feel someone in your guts. I mean, to, to, to really not just kind of have an idea in your head about them. It's to feel it in the seat of your emotions. And the Bible says he saw her. This woman he did not know. This woman he, you know, you would think that he met just by accident. And he had compassion on her. Now, I know some people worship this remote God that's out there somewhere past the stars. And one day, maybe by and by, we'll get to know him. But the Bible, uh, the, the Jesus of the Bible is very different than that type of God. He's a God who cares. He's a God who loves. He's a, a God that's near. Matter of fact, Hebrews really spells it out for us in chapter 4 and verse 15. It makes it more didactic than, than, than with the, the, the narrative we just heard. He said this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. If you are hurting in any way today, Jesus has been there. He not only understands, he's hurting alongside with you. And, you know, if anyone can get you through what you might be feeling, it's the man that was betrayed by one of his own. It was the man that was stripped naked and, and beaten, and, and then they put big old nails in his, in his hands and in his feet, and, and people wagged their head at him saying, well, but made fun of him, mocked him. If you're the son of God, come down. And he knows what it's like to be made fun of. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be beaten. He knows what it's like to be, be betrayed. If anyone understands how to get you through what you're going through, is this man from Nazareth. Luke 7, 13. When the Lord saw her, he had something moved on the inside. This is not a cold, distant, Jesus talking about, I got things in my mind, I got to get somewhere. And no, no, no. It grabbed him in his heart, in his very gut, if you will. Now, the American Dictionary defines compassion as this, and it's very similar. It's just not as graphic as the Greek and Hebrew. Compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another, who's stricken by misfortune. But watch this. Accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Jesus doesn't just feel for you. He's not just up in heaven crying because you're going through. He's up there crying saying, I want to help. I want to help alleviate. I want to lift. So he's not this detached individual. Compassion. Every time you find the Bible, Jesus moved with compassion. He did something. God's compassion is a verb. God's compassion is an action word. It said he had compassion on her. He want, you know, God wants to help you more than you want to help yourself, by the way. And then he said this to her. And if, you, if you're not familiar with the Gospels, you're going to think that um, Jesus was just being sensitive. But, you know, a woman that just lost her son, just telling her not to cry is not super comforting. 
Matter of fact, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And in the culture, you didn't tell people not to cry at a funeral. In fact, you paid people to cry. They were paid mourners that you paid to cry, and they cried out loud at a funeral. Miriam's from Nigeria, and they do the same, yeah. But Jesus came to this woman and said, do not weep. He said, do not weep. He only asked her to do one thing again, and that was to check her emotions. This is important. He didn't say deny them. He didn't say suppress them, push them down. But he just said, don't let any feeling cloud your response to me. This week, I was feeling just a little bit discouraged. And we all have moments of discouragement, but, you know, day one turned to day two. Day two turned into day three. And I started to talk to the Lord about it. Or better put, the Lord started to talk to me. By the way, this is where this message comes from today. And the Lord said, Derek, am I to join your parade? Or are you to join in mine? Derek, if you keep your head up, I'll turn it. But in this situation, the way God wanted this woman to release her faith was by not giving in to what she was feeling. You might have every good cause. I had good reason to feel a little bit discouraged. I had good reason not to get up out of bed and maybe get into the office just a little bit late. I had good reason for what I was feeling. But I had a choice to make. Was I going to require God to follow me to my parade to the funeral ground? Or was I going to shift gears and follow him? Stay with me. When the Lord said that, immediately Psalm 30 and verse 11 came to my, my mind. This is what David said when he was struggling. He said, you have turned. Who beside me needs God to turn some things in your life? Yeah. David was facing the type of tired that sleep can't fix. But still God turned it. He said, you have turned. See, this, this next little thing might not mean nothing to you, but it means everything to me. You have turned for me. I appreciate what God has done for others. I appreciate what God might have done for you. I appreciate some of the things I read in this book, but I need a God that can do it for me. David said, you have turned for me. I said, God, can you do it? Will you do it for me? That was my question. You have turned for me, my mourning, into dancing. Just as easy as Jesus turned water into wine. When it's dark as he could cause your light to shine. God knows how to do it and he'll get it done. Then it says, you have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. David was drowning in his sorrows, but the Lord stepped in and helped him to swim. And there'll be moments when your head is underwater. Moments when you're taking water into your lungs, but the Lord will lift you up. And he don't always lift you out. He said, well, listen, I'm going to put strength in and I'm going to teach you how to, boy, just put one arm in front of the other. Just put one leg in front of it. Just keep on walking. And, and here's the deal. The shift didn't happen immediately. But I made a choice. 
And instead of just going with the current that was leading me down, I started swimming against the current. And amazingly, I reached the shore, and I'm happy now. You hear what I'm saying? But sometimes you got you to put one arm in front of the other arm, and you got to move it, and God will teach you how to swim in the midst of your challenge. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with happy clothes. MLK said, if you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, climb. I'm sorry, crawl. There you go. Someone knows it better than me. But by all means, keep moving. But you got to keep your head up. And life will try to do this. You got to keep your head up. That's why the scripture says, I look to the hills. You got to keep your head up to look to the hills. From whence cometh my help. But you got to keep your head up. You got to keep your head up. If I could rap, I would. Because the next line goes, ooh, child, things are going to get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. One more time. Ooh, child, things are going to get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. That was Tupac, by the way. Luke 7 and 14. Then he came and touched the open coffin. This coffin wasn't like today's coffin. It was a simple stretcher carried that carried the body and they, they wrapped him and it would look like little sheets. Then they put a napkin on top of his face. But Jesus came and touched the coffin. Now, the word translated touch is not a gentle little pat. Jesus literally grabbed the stretcher. And when he did it, those who saw it or carried it stood still. The pallbearers immediately stopped in their tracks thinking, why on earth would someone who's not even a member of the family, this guy don't even know them. How is he going to come and touch you don't touch nobody's dead sons. You don't go on in the funeral and start touching on bodies, particularly in the ancient world. Not only that, he was a rabbi. Rabbis knew, everyone knew, but rabbis knew best that if you touch a dead body, you become unclean. So everyone stops like, what is going on here? But with Jesus... Instead of the contamination rubbing off on him, his clean rubs off on the contaminated. It's amazing. It's amazing. I could bring all my sorrow, all my sadness, all my depression to him. It's amazing. And, and, and all that rubbing, I'll never, make, I'll never bring him down. I'll never make him sad. He will instead rub off on me. It's amazing who he is and what he, what he does. And he said, and by the way, this is prophetic. How does he know how old the guy is? He's wrapped up. Young man, I'm sure the mother is, what? 
But also, I want you to put yourself in this situation. Jesus actually started a conversation with a dead person. He's not speaking to the mother. He doesn't even know them. He walks up, starts talking to the dead. That's why I feel like preaching. Not, not today, but sometimes. <laughs> you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Come on. Now. Now, Jesus was doing good and everything, healing people and everything. But now he goes to a funeral, starts talking to a dead guy he doesn't know, and touching stuff he ought not touch. If you're always comfortable <laughs> with what God is doing in your life, either he's not doing much or he's not sinking in. But when God's doing God, he will make you just a little bit uncomfortable. So Jesus comes into this funeral. I mean, it would really be like, honestly, let me just give you a description. If we close the casket, he walked up to the casket, opened it, and started talking. And he don't know nobody. And, and you know, Arnie's saying, do, is that, that, do you know him? Everyone, what is going on? He said, young man, I know you were cut down in your prime. But like the poet says, a, a shooting star flying across the room so fast, so far, too soon. He said, young man, I know everybody else is saying their goodbyes. But I say to you, arise. You see, Jesus' authority, his power, his word is so absolute. That when he speaks, even the finality of death has to back up, say, oops, not yet. There's no situation too dead for my Jesus. There's, there, there's no situation God cannot revive in his way. The only thing is we can't always tell him how to do it. We can't always tell him when to do it. But as final as the grave seems to be, Jesus had the last word. And as final as that dead situation in your life, Jesus still retains the final word. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. Now you thought the screw was dug in too deep. You thought the nut was rusted on that bolt too strong and no wrench could ever move it. But I serve a God. Do you hear what I'm saying? We serve a God that can turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it. He will turn that thing around and loosen that thing up and change your life if you let him. But you got to check your emotions for a minute. And then I've said this before. You, you think I'm down on emotions. I'm a pretty emotional fellow. Uh, well, my wife might argue with that. But I, I, I do feel things deeply. But... Emotions are good servants, but they're terrible leaders. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.